Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Company 3 in Toronto. Company 3 is the leading post-production and visual effects provider to the world's top content creators. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Transformation can be many things. Scary, exciting, intimidating, and most of all, inevitable and often necessary. In her essay, The Only Constant is Change, trailblazer Lindsay Summers speaks deeply to how this mindset has served her in her career journey to becoming Canada's first ever intimacy coordinator. Change is a constant part of life, but still we are often resistant to it, fight it, even when it's necessary. But whether you're ready for change or not, it happens. It doesn't always come when you're expecting it or when you're prepared for it. It can happen in an instant, or sometimes it can take a while, bubbling below the surface long before it rises. Often it comes about because you have no other choice. You have to do your best to move forward and adapt. Surprisingly enough, this kind of forced change brings with it real creativity and a sense of community. A realization that there are others who share elements of your backstory who are facing the necessity to change both themselves and their environmental issues. Change can start with one person, a spark, but for it to grow, it needs fuel, and to sustain it, it needs people with shared passion to make a difference. When all those elements are in place, you have a movement. Learning to embrace change and accept an entirely unexpected path is incredibly challenging. Journeys I have faced numerous times in my personal and professional life. My most recent challenges have occurred as I have helped carve the path for intimacy coordinators in the Canadian film and television industry. I have spent over 15 years on set, first as a performer, then using my paramedic certification to become a set medic and eventually a medical consultant. From years spent on both sides of the camera, I have witnessed firsthand the harassment and imbalance of the power in the industry. But knowing change is needed is only the first step. Toronto Burke's Me Too movement, which exploded on social media in 2017, was the spark that opened a much-needed window to the problems this industry faced. All of a sudden, we realized we weren't alone or in the minority, that there were many of us who felt the same way, that change was necessary and long overdue. But as we know, change doesn't usually happen overnight, and just shining a spotlight on the issue wasn't enough. Work still needed to be done, but where to go from there? I realized again that there were others that felt the same, and I found a group of like-minded individuals who had formed a movement called After Me Too. I became immersed in this movement of hope with these fellow humans who were all so passionate for change. We organized a two-day event in December 2017 at the Globe and Mail, a series of roundtable discussions with a variety of members of the film and television community, an open dialogue about sexual misconduct in our industry, along with a town hall-style meeting to discuss the current events around the Me Too movement. This event would be a vital part of my journey of becoming Canada's first-ever intimacy coordinator. Sitting in on each of those roundtable discussions at the back of the room, I listened. 
The next day, I watched the town hall meeting, the space packed with chairs and endless bodies crowded in the standing room only sections. I excused myself for a quiet introverted moment where I realized what had to be done. We needed to build a safe space for creative expression within our industry, more control amongst the chaos. To create real change, you need allies and you need champions. And I've been lucky to find both along my journey. In late 2017, I found out my union, ACTRA, had hired a new advisor named Victoria Shen. We were introduced and began discussing current issues facing our industry and forming ideas about solving them. We both felt the fire, knowing that we were onto something special, and we remained continuous champions for one another as we collaborated on the best practices document that was released on March 8th of this year. With all the good it can bring, sometimes change can be destructive and seem to come at the worst time. Just after gaining some momentum with After Me Too in January of 2018, while I was working as a medical consultant on an Emmy award-winning TV series, I was literally hit with another unexpected turn of events. While sitting at a red light in my car, just after leaving work at a film studio, I was struck head-on by two rapidly moving vehicles. Without realizing it at the time, every cell in my body changed because of that car accident. What was before was no more. That moment altered the course of my path, my brain chemistry, and the stability of my neck. I would now have a series of new challenges to face while maintaining my goals. My work with physical therapy and movement was mirrored in the work I had begun before the accident. Working slowly, making small incremental change and improvement, whether it's to gain muscle strength, balance, and stability, or whether it's to make inroads into better working conditions for actors, will add up over time. Adapting and surviving, I refused to let this poor timing affect the momentum I was gaining with this actor advocacy idea. But ultimately, my physical health was depleting in 2018, culminating in July of that year. As a result of complications from the car accident, I was lying in a hospital bed immobilized, awaiting emergency spinal surgery. Consumed by the destructiveness of what unexpected change can bring, I experienced the polar opposite end of the spectrum. I received a call of hope and focus from Brandon Tataran, a local producer who put my name forward to HBO as their first ever intimacy coordinator in Canada. This took away any self-pity I was feeling and had me excited and positive about my life after surgery and not the complications that could come with it. Within two weeks, I would begin the pilot project with HBO alongside Alicia Rodas to implement this new role on two of their current sets. Alicia gave me structure to this mutual idea and being able to name it Intimacy Coordinator added the sense of empowerment I was striving for. HBO gave us permission to execute new protocols on set and oversee all nudity and intimacy on our respective shows. We were constantly in touch about the protocols sharing what was successful and what could use some adjustments. Our role was to ensure that performers' personal boundaries and contractually agreed upon negotiations were not breached. My journey wasn't solely about this new role on set, but also discovering what my new body and brain would be able to tolerate after all the physical changes I had recently gone through. I was surviving, but knew that opening the company Intimacy Coordinators Canada would require more than just myself, and truthfully, I physically needed time to heal. Instead, I was spending my time adapting the protocols we implemented on the HBO pilot project into my own protocols for the Canadian film industry as a whole. Seeking advice from producers, directors, and colleagues, they saw the possibility. We all had faith this would be successful. While one person can spark change, it is extremely difficult to sustain and grow alone. Implementing wholesale change while it's possible for one person is easier with a group. Initially, I started mentoring Casey Hudecki 
but our mentor-mentee relationship quickly elevated to a trusting partnership of mutual goals and work ethic. I am incredibly grateful for Casey coming into my life and for what we have created together. This movement was in full swing. Alicia and the team in the States felt their traction, and by the summer of 2019, I had spoken with executives at Disney and was collaborating with Amazon Studios regarding intimacy coordinators, along with working with Actra regarding the idea of a new best practices document for this work. The fight against change often comes from those exerting energy to return to what once was, rather than embracing and adapting to the new. But these people, our union, these studios, they believed in this new process, this change. The rest of 2019 is a bit of a blur for me. Full of traveling across Canada to work on numerous sets. Every week, a new show, new city, new hotel room. Constantly promoting the work to our film unions. And now, starting to mentor a handful of new mentees who provide promise for a different future in our industry. Change is inevitable. It's not always easy or by choice. Even the location of where I'm able to write out this essay has changed numerous times. From the solitude of my farmhouse property walking around with my partner and our dog, Archer, to watching the waves crash on the western shores of Canada. Like a pebble thrown into that ocean, however small, can change the landscape around it. Settling on the ocean floor, noting how the other pebbles shift around it to adjust and welcome the pebble into their space. The ripples that remain temporarily on the surface of the water, cascading outward, reaching far beyond its first reach, and how that one small pebble created a tidal wave on the other side of the world. Trauma changes your brain, but healing changes your brain too. I reflect on all the change I've experienced these past few years and smile knowing that I have succeeded in embracing the journey. Looking back, I am thankful for every single one of those events, the unplanned turns along my way. Each of them led me to a better place, following my own best practices, surviving in a way I never thought possible. Coming up, Lara Jean speaks with Lindsay about her journey, training, and future career goals. So hello remotely to Lindsay Summers. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I want uh, I want to start with this question quote from the beginning of your essay where you said, um, forced change brings with it real creativity and a sense of community. And Jen and I wanted to speak to that first in this interview because we had originally slated to record and conduct this at Deluxe Toronto in March. And as we all know, world events meant that this became impossible. So it's taken some adjustment and some new at-home gear. And right now, the beautiful people at Deluxe are mixing our previous episodes remotely, which is wonderful. So we're finally back at it today. I want to mention that you also reached out immediately to Jen and I to record this remotely. And we are... We're just really grateful for your continued interest in the podcast and the project and supporting our community. So I've certainly learned a lot over these past 12 weeks about the value of community in times of trauma and crisis, and your essay just speaks to this. Um, having these mentors and champions working alongside you in times of change. And and I, when Jen and I revisited your essay, we just found like there was so much relevance still in it even with the world having completely changed. When you just read it again for us, did things strike you in a different way? What did you notice most about your own words? It was very emotional reading that essay again. I haven't 
I hadn't looked at it since since late February, early March, when we were slated to record in Toronto. But reading through it now, I'm still processing. I'm so sorry. Um, it was surprising to me how relevant the words still were, and even more so now, with everything that's been going on. Yeah, this you composed it pre-COVID, but you speak so openly in it about how even when change is so out of control and can come on so unexpectedly, such as with your accident, it, it can still serve us. Has this been your mantra for you during the past couple months in the extreme global uncertainty? I mean, Jen and I were like, how is she? How how are any of us? That's kind of how we start any of these conversations nowadays, right? Like, how are you? How the hell are you? How's it been going? I, I am very blessed. And I live on an 100-acre property with Oof. my best friend and partner and dog. <laughs> I'm going to say that again because it sounds like my best friend and partner are both here. <laughs> Um, my best friend partner, Matt, and I live on an 100-acre property um, with our dog, Archer. And we are very blessed to spend our days focusing on growing vegetables in our garden and mm. not turning a blind side to, not turning a blind eye to what's going on in the world, but we are very blessed to be removed from the Toronto Centre, the epicenter in Ontario um, of where the chaos is. Yeah, I've been finding I'm right now speaking to you from a walk-in closet at my parents' house in Sarnia, Ontario. But what's wonderful about it has been, first of all, I know how privileged I am to have a place like this to go to, as I'm sure as you just spoke to as well. And that garden man has changed my life to be able to be in the earth every day and and try to be as simple as possible and really focus on what matters in life and and re-examine value systems and really deepen friendships even from afar and deepen work as actors even, which I'd love to transition to talking about your work because you yourself transitioned from being a performer to a medical consultant to an intimacy coordinator. And in that journey, did you notice some skills that transferred and served you well? Absolutely. The beginning of my career, I was a professional dancer. <laughs> I was part of the Junior Raptors Dance Pack when I, on the inaugural year, 1996. <laughs> Great. I was on that court dancing. Amazing. <laughs> Saying that on a podcast makes me blush. <laughs> but um, the, the performance side of the work and the movement I've learned throughout my career even along with the physical therapy I've learned since the accident, everything seems to tie in to the work that I'm doing in terms of intimacy coordination with consent and respect and inclusivity and making sure that the performer's voices are heard. Jen and I have discussed kind of our own argument for this, but I I know a lot of people out there, maybe who are listening, I know intimacy coordinating, thankfully, due to your work and the work of your colleagues in, in the States, has become more mainstream. Like, we understand it's a thing. We understand it's around. A lot of people don't really know exactly what it is. And the terrible but argument that I hear from some people and even some actors is, you know, but intimacy scenes, you should just be able to, like, go with the flow because it changes your performance. It makes you less authentic. 
And um, I can share with you in a sec, but I'd love to hear from you first what our argument is for that and what I believe as an actor, my argument against that is. But from you as the as, as spearheading this movement here in Canada, what would you say to those dis, uh, detractors and why did you really feel um, the importance of this new job? Being on the other side of the camera has allowed me to be in the position of the performers um, that I'm working with. I understand it's a, an extremely vulnerable position to be on set to do any kind of work, let alone work involving nudity and simulated sex. What I've found um, from my opportunity to step into this role and to execute the work is that creating boundaries and allowing the actor to voice their own personal boundaries and creating that safe space between the two performers who are out there on their own. Because even if we do choreograph, even if we do set the boundaries, those two performers or three performers or group of performers who are there doing the work, they need to have that trust within themselves. They need to establish that safe set and those boundaries within themselves. So I'm just there to help execute that required communication. Mm. I am there I am there to help the performers communicate to one another, to the director, and have the director and produce, production team really understand those performers' personal boundaries. And once we establish those boundaries, the creativity within that structure can flourish. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how I feel about it, too, as a performer. My argument... When, when I hear people go, well, it's just, it's natural. And you go, right. But sure, just like in real life, it's natural when you're angry and you might hit someone. You shouldn't, but you know, when that happens. But we have to create those boundaries when we do stunt work as well to make sure everybody is safe. And when you give me as an actor a map and tell me the story that I'm trying to say, that I'm trying to reveal to the audience and take them through, then I have freedom. If you just tell me, then you're going to get angry and hit this guy, or then you're going to feel lustful and kiss this guy. What? When is, when, how, what, what? You're leaving me. And then suddenly I'm on screen. Lara Jean is on screen, not whatever character I'm playing. And, and that that's exactly it right there is that there is a huge difference between actors and the characters propelling a story to move forward and, and getting the beats that you need in order for that to story to move forward, but not overindulging and using those performers for any other reason. Mm -hmm. You can so, sell it when you have that roadmap. And we, not every performer or director or a group of people that we're working with do want specifically choreography as we're talking about that specifically here right now. Not everyone wants that. But if we can establish no zones, if we can establish where you're not to touch and the anchor points of, okay, well, once we get to this point, you're going to push them up against the wall and this is where you're going to kiss them. It at least adds some sort of structure so you're not going blind. It's respecting the individual artist for sure and collaborating. And, yeah, absolutely. And I find that performers' anxiety reduces significantly if they have awareness of what's going on. I work with a lot of day players who are thrown in and flown in at the last minute. Mm. They arrive on set. They haven't spoken to the director. They don't know what's going on. And so I am there to help facilitate that communication so they know they're not alone. They know that someone has their back. And 
their work is appreciated and they're not going to be taken advantage of. You're already kind of speaking to this, but our next question was like, what does creating a safe space mean to you? So what is like the ideal form of communication for you between cast and producers and someone in your line of work? Like what kind of advice would you give to an actor um, on how to approach an intimacy coordinator or how to voice concerns or be able to talk about their boundaries in a safe way? Hopefully, hopefully there is an intimacy coordinator on your production and available. If not, please reach out to us. (laughs) We will never turn you away. The communication starts early on in prep. And that's the the biggest advice I could give is let's take time to work this out. Let's take time to process. So if we're brought in at the last minute, very little time to communicate and help facilitate that communication, our work might not be as strong. But if we are involved in prep and we can have a discussion with the director and understand their vision and communicate that to the performers, have them digest that process it for a day or two, and then come back with any of their own notes. We're giving them time to work through the scene that they often do in their prep work for every single scene, Mm -hmm. rather than leaving it to get to being on set and saying, let's do what feels natural for you. We are communicating long before the shooting day uh, between the director and the performers, between the two performers, and then hopefully even having a rehearsal if it's possible or required, um, before the shooting day to really structure what is going to happen in a simulated sex scene. That's That's been a really revolutionary tool that we've had in 2019 in, in my experience, the rehearsal time for simulated sex scenes. It allows the performers to digest the rehearsal, to take some time to communicate back with the intimacy coordinator if there was anything that they would like to adjust. We're still making sure that the director has their vision, the story points are being told, we're propelling the story forward with the necessity of the sequence, Mm -hmm. but involving the performer's personal boundaries long before the shooting day, hopefully as a performer would help reduce your anxiety about the work coming up and give you every tool for success. Mm -hmm. Jen and I have been talking about there's this theme that's running through season two right now of this podcast that's all about how vulnerability is a superpower. So this ability to speak truthfully and honestly with each other and accept our own stories and vulnerabilities, and this leads to better performances both on and offset. And your work finds you in the most exposed, honest circumstances we can imagine, and of course, as actors that we have experienced. So... Do you, I guess it's to say, I feel like the answer is yes from reading your essay and hearing you speak it, but do you feel like this superpower of sitting in and dissecting vulnerability comes naturally to you? And if it, if it doesn't, you know, how, how did you learn it? How lovely, (laughs) so lovely to say this, um, because I, I do openly make myself vulnerable to a lot of the performers that I work with for us to figure out and choreograph any of the work we're doing where their body might be exposed, I want to expose myself a little bit to them as well. So it comes very naturally to me. I am a very open and honest person. And I think that kind of integrity speaks volumes in this work. Yeah. Yeah. Integrity is really everything. Truth is, truth is vital. 
to wrap this up a little bit, as you said, the door is never closed. So how do producers find you? How do you make sure that all productions moving forward have access to an intimacy coordinator. We know that in March you were working closely with ACTRA. So where do things stand now? Yeah, the um, the best practices document released in March. I was very proud of that document. I am very proud of that document, which was quickly overshadowed with the pandemic. <laughs> However, <laughs> that best practices document lays out tips for productions and actors to not only go through these scenes alone, but also where they can find an intimacy coordinator. IntimacyCoordinatorsCanada.com is our website. And we uh, continue to work and mentor and train um, intimacy coordinators through the IDC program, which we're very proud of. And ACTRA has a list of certified coordinators. There aren't many of us right now in Canada, but we are here for you and happy to Happy to support and make change. It makes happy me- to support and make change. <laughs> <laughs> makes me think of the so the end of your essay, which hearing you read it for us today was oh so beautiful. The the stuff about the pebble really struck me today, and what you wrote about you know settling on the ocean floor, noting how the other pebbles shift around it to adjust and welcome the pebble into their space, and that these ripples that you can make that seem so small, once they fit in there, can create a tidal wave on the other side of the world. And it's just so beautiful, Lindsay. I just want to thank you so much for coming in today and being being that pebble, creating change in Canada. And hopefully it has those ripple effects across the world. And thank you for your vulnerability today. Thank you so much for having me. With over 100 film and TV credits to her name, including acting credits on Black Mirror and the Oscar-winning feature film Room, Lindsay Summers was the medical consultant on numerous series such as the Emmy Award-winning series The Handmaid's Tale, feature film remake Flatliners, and the hit Amazon series The Boys. Summers is now leading the way as Canada's first-ever intimacy coordinator, having participated in the groundbreaking pilot project with HBO that launched this movement. Her company, Intimacy Coordinators Canada, worked on over 30 productions in 2019, and Lindsay has been traveling the country educating the film and television unions on this new role. Lindsay has been awarded two Exemplary Citizen Awards from the City of Toronto. Huge thank you, Lindsay, for joining us remotely today. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women Women on Screen. Screen. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Executive produced by Lauren McKinley, Farah Morani, and Kira Murphy. With original music by Erica Percunier. This episode of Women on Screen Out Loud was sound mixed at Company 3 in Toronto. Thank you to Company 3 for continuing to support women on screen.